We continue the shear in Navi. In this case, of course, that means in Ksuvan. We started the story of Eov, the last shear. This is one time when we left the story midway. It's difficult to continue without a very, very brief synopsis, just to refresh our minds with the story we're up to now, and then to continue. Story of Eov. Eov was a tzaddik who was tested when the Satan reported to Hashem about the greatness of Avraham Avinu. Hashem said, look at my servant Eov, how loyal he is. The Satan asked for and received permission to test Eov's loyalty and faith. And so he caused the loss of all of Eov's wealth. He was the richest person alive then, practically. He caused the loss of his wealth. He caused the destruction of his home, his servants, the death of his ten children, seven sons and three daughters. And then, in addition, he caused Eev to be stricken with excruciating type of illness, boils, skin boils, that were practically unbearable. Now, this test lasted for 12 months, 12 months of suffering. As we explained, Eov had three very close friends, very loyal friends. The three, of course, meant four. We're coming to the fourth one soon. These three special friends came to visit Eov to try to console him. During this visit, there ensued a debate between the three and Eov. Basically, the whole story in the Ksuvim and the Tanakh tells about this debate. And the gist of it was in the form that Eev seemed to complain about his fate. He blamed it on the stars, he blamed it on his astrology, and felt that his punishment or his suffering was unjustified. He certainly did not deserve this type of suffering being the tzaddik that he was. His three friends attacked this line of reasoning, each one in order, stressed the fact that it was wrong for Eev to question the decision of Hashem. If Hashem made him suffer, then surely, certainly, without doubt, Hashem was right, and Eev would be wrong. And therefore, he should accept it without question. This debate continued on. At no point did Eev give in to their arguments. He remained adamant through to the point where this debate was completed. The uh, point of reach was where Eir was the last one to speak and refuted their statements. Now we come to the fourth friend who was not mentioned until now. His name was Elihu, and Elihu, as is brought, according to an opinion, was a relative of Eir. He was very young, but very sharp, extremely wise, and filled with a fervor filled with a, a fiery feeling of devotion to Hashem, devotion to anything that is holy. At this point, he spoke up and stated his anger about this entire debate. He said, I am younger than everyone present, and therefore, out of respect, I remain silent until this point. And I can no longer tolerate the words that are going on. First, the fact that Eev considers himself more righteous then Hashem, Hashem. At this point, he said, is not as bad as Eev's three friends whose arguments are so poor. 
despite the fact, of course, that these arguments were filled, seem to be filled with deep wisdom, depth, and their battle to defend the honor of Hashem, the honor of heaven, yet he said that their words were hollow and meaningless. So he turned to Eov and said, accept my words, listen to my words now. It is wrong to complain against Hashem. How can one complain against the fact that Hashem is always kind? As the Gemara says, only goodness comes from Hashem. So that if there is something that appears to be bad, appears to be suffering, that too is good. There is a good reason for whatever happens, since it comes from Hashem. And certainly, if you cannot recognize that, at least accept the fact that if Hashem would have wanted, He could have given you much more suffering than you have. At least be thankful, always say, Baruch Hashem, for what I have, because it could have been much worse. This is a very important outlook that every person should always have. If anything bad happens, the true attitude of a good, devoted, loyal Jew is, Baruch Hashem, that it was not worse. If a person is robbed, he should say, Baruch Hashem, that I was not hurt physically. If he was hurt physically, you say, Baruch Hashem, that it wasn't still worse, that there was no death involved, and so on. In all cases, things could have been worse, and this he should recognize as a chesed, a kindness from heaven. In addition, the fact, too, that the kindness of Hashem is to give a tzaddik a life with which a tzaddik can serve Hashem. And the Jew is supposed to recognize the fact that it is a privilege, extreme privilege, to be able to serve Hashem, just as a loyal servant of a king would consider it a privilege to serve his master, his majesty. So to hear, how could Eov suspect anything against heaven when surely there cannot be a punishment unless it is the will of Hashem and it is justified. Because if Eov is looking, seeking for a sin that he may have committed and he cannot find it as Eov claimed, he never committed a sin as he t retold his life history, Elihu said then the sin would be the fact that other people committed sins. Others around you and you as the tzaddik of the vicinity, of the community, of the city, country, or generation. As many as are beneath you, that's how many you are responsible for. Tzadik is responsible for those in his generation. It's up to him to protest, to stop them from committing wrong, to teach them, to guide them, to lead them on the right path. If he does not, if he tries and does not succeed, he is held responsible and he is punished for them. Additionally, too, Eliyahu said a Jew must believe in the greatness of Hashem. This, too, is a very important point that Benazel stresses. <clears throat> Believing in the greatness of Hashem means that no matter how you don't understand the reasons for what is happening, still accept the fact that Hashem is wiser than you are. You cannot conceive why such things should happen to you. It's because this is the wisdom of Hashem. And you cannot understand Hashem. If you could understand Hashem, then you would be Hashem. Since that is impossible, therefore know that you are a human, and Hashem Kaviyochel is infinite, and that's why there's no way you can expect to have answered any questions about Hashem. This is the proper attitude in faith in Hashem.
And finally, of course, if you have the proper faith, and that zechus, the merit of that faith, will be zacher in the future to have a much more wonderful life, whether that life is in this world or in Elohabo, the future world. In order to merit this future, you've got to have this pure faith. To this statement, Eo did not reply. He did not reply directly. Instead, but it seems that he did not accept it fully either. At this point, suddenly, a mighty storm broke out. From this storm came forth, finally, a voice. The voice of Hashem himself speaking to Eov. Here we have one of the spine-tingling discussions, a one-way discussion, of course, where after we have heard the wisdom of some of the wisest people in that generation, we now see the difference when we come to Kaviachal, the wisdom of Hashem, in replying to Eov. Eomar says, what is meant by this word, a voice of Hashem came from a storm. Eomar explains that Eov's last complaint was that this whole thing was a mistake. Some kind of a heavenly mistake took place, an error, whereby there was a mistaken identity. This punishment, this suffering, was meant for someone else, perhaps for a different man named Eov, and he was the mistaken victim. It was at this point that Hashem spoke out from the storm, the storm meaning that Hashem said to Eov first to rectify this error on his part. Hashem said, you know that I create rain. When rain comes down, note the way the rain descends from heaven. How there are so many drops of rain, and yet each drop is an individual drop. You don't find one drop clashing with another. Despite the great distances rain travels, each drop travels individually. No matter how close the proximity of one to the other, they come out individually, each one is guided by Hashem. If these two drops would clash, they could destroy the power of the earth giving forth fruit, the earth bearing vegetation. Now, since, Hashem said, I never mistake between one drop and the other, how would I make a mistake between one Eov and the second? Another example, Hashem said, a person has so many hairs growing in his head. Each hair, each follicle has a different root. And this root, the hair receives its nourishment, its life from that root. If two hairs would nurse from the same root, this could cause a very serious disease. People live with so many untold number of hairs. Yet at no time do you find being common that two hairs should nurse from the same root because Hashem takes care that each hair has its own origin and never is there a confusion between the two. Hashem said, if I take care of every all the hairs in the world and I see that no two hairs should be confused with each other, how could you suspect that I would make a mistake between Eov and Eov? Mistaken identity. Third case Hashem mentioned was that there is a certain type of animal, Yala, when it gives birth. This is a, an animal that is, does not have too much compassion for its offspring. It goes up to the top of a mountain, and there it gives birth. It lets its offspring drop from the top of the mountain. At that moment, that very second the eagle comes by, 
catches this offspring, saves it, we don't find these dead animals around. This must be split-second timing. Hashem says that split-second I always prepare an eagle to come by and catch this offspring, and at no time is there a mistake in that split-second. I don't make a mistake in that split-second. I surely would not make an error in identity. This was the simple opening. Now, Hashem said more directly, compare. Look at how Avraham Avinu was subjected to such strict tests, a series of ten different tests, tests that were much more severe than yours. And in these tests, he believed, he had faith, even though he did not see any hashkocha, any individual supervision from heaven. He accepted everything that happened with devotion, with loyalty, with willingness to sacrifice life, limb, wealth, himself, his family, for the sake of this faith in Hashem. Never asking questions. Why should you destroy what I wrote in the Torah itself? I wrote in the Torah that Eov is Yirei Hashem. Eov fears Hashem, respects Hashem. Why should you destroy that statement I wrote about you? Now, you claim, you suspect that this is fate. You were patterned in the stars. Your fate is one that is very bitter and very tragic. This is your complaint. You blame it on the stars as though fate was in no way connected with Hashkocha, with supervision by Hashem. It's not in the hands of Hashem, it's in the hands of these stars, Chazashon. To this, Hashem's reply was, where were you, Eov, when the world was created? During the days of creation, where were you at that time when such an intricate, complex series of events took place? Could you claim to emulate, to copy these items? Could you imagine a mass of earth, this globe, to state the weight of the globe is impossible. Scientists, Yimach try to figure the weight according to mass, according to ratios, formulas. But think of the area, the mass, the weight. What is this suspended from? What holds up the earth? Are there pillars? Is there a foundation upon which this earth is set? Were you there to see that the earth should remain in its proper place? When this earth was created and put into this belimot, suspended in midair, held up by nothing, the earth is not lighter than air. The earth is a heavy weight, a heavy mass. What stops the earth from moving out of place? Were you there when a boundary, a limit was set to the area itself? The earth was created, it could have been smaller or larger, more elongated, differently shaped. Did you determine the shape of the earth, exactly what area it should take, it should take up? Or to go still further, were you there to determine the size, the shape of the heavens, of the waters around the earth, the rivers and oceans? Tell me too, what is the origin, if you know it all, what is the origin of light and darkness? Where do they come from? You have light by day, darkness at night. Where is this storage warehouse, place where this is stored? Light is taken out, light is removed, put away, and darkness comes. Where are these kept? Have you been able to understand 
or to reach, to achieve the place where snow is kept, snow, rain, the winds, where are all these stored? Where are they taken from? Is this something that's under your control? Have you taken any part in their creation and supervising their activities? Tell me as far as rain is concerned, could you identify the father and mother of rain? Who gave birth to this rain? Who brought this rain into existence? Who gave birth to dew that we find every day on earth? Who has established the rules for the heavenly members, stars, meteors, planets in the skies? Who has made these rules? Could you perform the miracle of sending forth a lightning bolt? Hashem sends a lightning bolt forward to strike at something. Now, a messenger must report. A messenger is sent somewhere to deliver something. He must report to the sender. So can you perform this miracle of sending a lightning bolt? When the lightning bolt arrives at its appointed spot, right at that spot he reports, Hashem, I am here, I have arrived. He doesn't have to return to the place from where he was sent, because where he was sent, the place he was sent to, in both of these places, Hashem is there. He doesn't have to return to report. Wherever he goes to, there he finds Hashem too. Do you understand the vast realm of supervision hashkocha, where you have an infinite number of different types of creation, large animals, tremendously large-sized animals, large beings. Then you have tiny little worms. And then you have microscopic bacteria. All this type of organisms. Every one of these, in order to live, must be fed. Who provides all the nourishment for them? Do you take care of all these? The different types of food each one requires? Can you conceive of what this entails? Every one of these types of creation, types of living things, and types of food that are necessary, all this is done through individual supervision. By whom? By the Creator. By Hashem Himself. Now, as far as humans are concerned, as far as the selected humans are concerned, those who have received the direct word of Hashem, the mitzvahs of Hashem, Hashem gives a mitzvah, an order, to a Jew. He tells the Jew, for example, perform a certain mitzvah. Does the Jew perform an act by which he is doing a favor to Hashem? Hashem said, let there come forth that person who was doing something for me before I did something for him. For example, I tell a Jew, you have the mitzvah of placing a mezuzah on your doorpost. A mezuzah at every doorpost of your home. And this is an expense. The Jew feels if he's paying for all these mezuzahs, then surely he's doing something good to favor Hashem. Hashem said... Who gave that person a house, the rooms, before the command was given to put mezuzahs on these doors? Before I said, put a mezuzah on your doorpost, I first blessed you, gave you a home. After I gave you the home, then I said, now put the mezuzah al mezuzahs pesecha, mezuzah of your home where you live, v'sharecha your gates. First I gave you the home, then I said, put a mezuzah up. First I gave you an arm. I blessed you with an arm that is mobile, that serves you for a multitude of purposes. Then I said, 
put tefillin on that arm. First I gave you the chance to earn a livelihood. I gave you the blessing of a livelihood. Then I said, take off 10% of that for tzedakah for the poor. You're not giving me 10%, I'm giving you the 100 first. All these are items that a Jew should recognize and know that Hashem owes nothing to anyone. The debt is the reverse. Belongs the debt is the debt of a person to Hashem. And even the reward given to a tzaddik, a tzaddik who does serve Hashem, still comes through the kindness of Hashem. Especially should a tzaddik recognize that Yisurim, tzaddik is zocher. When we say a tzaddik, it means a Jew who simply has the right degree of faith. Should recognize the fact that Yisurim suffering is for the benefit of that Jew. Whether he is good or whether he is sinful and deserves it, or whether he seems to be a perfect tzaddik, the Yisurim is still for his benefit. Because if he is sinful, this is a favor to him. It is helping to cleanse, to erase the sin from his record, to remove the stain, the spot from his soul. A person would know the value of his soul. He would understand how fortunate he is, how blessed he is, to have this stain removed during his lifetime, and has to have the soul laundered through the heavenly fires to get the stain out afterwards. And if he is a tzaddik, even a tzaddik like Rabbi Akiva, like Rabbi Hanan, who went through fire, went through tortures, and went through this with a smile, with happiness, with the knowledge that they were able to serve Hashem. As we say in Kriya Shua, the thrill of serving Hashem with their lives, giving their life for the sake of the mitzvah of Hashem, Kiddush Hashem. To this, Eev finally replied, very much awed, abashed, he said, I now accept the Yisurim with Ahava, accept the Yisurim with faith. I'm ashamed that I asked the questions I did previously, and I see now that all this suffering was very much worthwhile just to be able to realize now the answers, the fact that there is true hashkocha, there is supervision on the part of Hashem. At this point, Hashem turned now to his three friends, and in anger, Hashem said to them, note though that Hashem spoke to them. The result says if when Hashem speaks to a person, a sign that person is very, very great, because an ordinary person does not hear Hashem speaking to him. Hashem spoke to these three in anger and said to them, you have committed a very serious sin. Now, in this case, we must be very careful to note the word of Hashem, because this is something for which every Jew should be guided in life. This should be the most important lesson of this story. Hashem, in his anger to the three, said, you have committed a very serious transgression in showing a lack of faith. A lack of faith in Eov. You did not believe in the purity the holiness of this tzaddik Eov. The fact that you attacked him disrespectfully, even though your attack was due to your own faith in Hashem, what was their reason in arguing the point? Because they wanted to defend true faith in Hashem. They wanted to defend the covered Shemayim, the honor of Hashem. It seemed that Eov was attacking faith 
they were defending faith in Hashem and upholding the honor of Hashem. This seemed a very noble gesture on their part. Hashem said, you were very much mistaken in this, because it is impossible to ever justify anyone attacking a tzaddik, even if his kavona, even if his motives seem pure. Now, we can understand this very readily and easily in the case of Eliyahu Hanavi. Hashem was once very angry with Eliyahu Hanavi because of Eliyahu's anger against the Jews. Hashem asked him, what is the reason for your anger? And he said, because the Jews have turned away from Hashem, they become idol worshippers. Why shouldn't I be angry? I'm angry because I want to defend the honor of Hashem from being desecrated by the Jews. At this point, Hashem said to Eliyahu you have ceased to be worth anything in my eyes. You can no longer serve as a leader of the Jews. It is time for you to leave this world. You must pass away. Because I don't want any leader speaking against the Jews, against my people. This is Lashon Hara, the worst type of sin. Now, if Hashem said, you cannot speak against Rishoyim, against so-called wicked ones, who were actual idol worshippers, Hashem was so furious with Eliyahu Navi, Imagine then the sin, how much more multiplied it is, if a person, even because of defending the honor of Hashem, attacks a tzaddik. Therefore Hashem said to these three friends of Eov, Though your motives were honorable, though your intentions were to uphold and defend the covet of Hashem, still your sin is one that is so great that you must receive the death penalty for it. This is something for which there is no tshuva. You cannot even repent for this. I will not accept repentance. There's one way only whereby you can be saved. And that is up to Eov himself. If you ask his pardon for what you have said, and Eov is willing to forgive and to daven for you, to pray for you, then the sin will be erased and you will live. At this point, we get to grasp, to understand the depth of these words. Here are three people who came with intentions that were so pure, they tried to defend the honor of Hashem, they tried to halt words coming from Eov that seemingly were against the honor of Hashem. And yet, they were the ones being condemned and convicted of a crime for which Hashem said to deserve a death penalty. What about Eov, Eov himself? What about his act, his words? And at first, the words he spoke were directly against Hashdocha, against supervision, against faith, blaming fate, fate which is a word that's very wrong, it is non-existent. We know according to our faith there is no fate. There is no such thing as fate or nature, because that is directly contrary to the foundation of our faith, that everything happens through the will of Hashem and act of Hashem. The word nature itself, translated in Hebrew, is synonymous with, and numerically the same as, Hashem. Akim is the word for same as Teva, Hateva. So everything that others would call nature, this actually is an act of Hashem. The sun does not shine by day because of nature. 
the moon doesn't come out at night because it's nature. The flowers don't blossom in the spring because it's nature, and the wind does not blow because of nature. They all perform these functions because of the nature, which is the act of Hashem, individual actions and supervision by Hashem. In the case of Eov, now who had spoken out against this true faith, he spoke of nature, he spoke of fate. What about his actions? Are they to be forgotten, forgiven, overlooked completely? To this question, Hashem replied, it is true that Eov spoke seemingly very wrongly. He spoke against Hashem, that's no less a crime than speaking against the Tzedek. But Eov's words, he can be forgiven completely for the statements he made. A different person would be punished for them, but not Eov, not one who is in the throes of such deep suffering. When a person is in pain, then his mind is affected. A person who is in deep pain cannot be blamed for things that he says, things that are very wrong, because the pain would cause a person to temporarily lose his mind, and for the words that come from his mouth at that time, he is forgiven. This, the Gemara states, is a matter of halacha. Ein adam nispas al person is not to be judged when he is suffering. Of course, there is a limit to that too. You must keep in mind, the Gemara states a case of a mother whose oldest son passed away. A mother seeing her child pass away is naturally in the suffering experience for which she can be expected to say things that are wrong. So the Gemara says that when she did speak up wrong words, wrong types of phrases complaining against heaven, for a while she was not stopped. But after a, short, after a while passed, a warning was delivered to her by one of the rabbis of the Gemara that she should cease these words, because if she does not, she will suffer still further. The Gemara says that she did not stop, and her second child passed away. This continued on until every one of her children died, and then she too died afterwards. This was not Kiddush Hashem. This was not the story of Hannah and her seven sons who died for their religion. This was an act of sin on the part of a mother who caused the children to die because of her sacrilegious utterings. But still, she was given a chance to get it out of her system, this, these harsh words, up to a certain limit. Of course, Eve's words came through such a degree of physical suffering, physical and mental, the mental, of course, is caused by the physical, that Hashem himself testified that Eve was not to blame for the words he said, and therefore he was forgiven for his statements. He had, legally, the eyes of heaven passed his test of faith. Eve did pray for his friends. Their sin was erased. And Eve's suffering came to an end. The Lord says now the latter part of Eov's life was rewarded for passing this test. Remember that Eov originally had 7,000 head of cattle, lambs, which were all taken by the plunderers, bands that robbed him. He had nothing left now. Now Hashem blessed him with double that amount. He now had 14,000 lambs, sheep. He previously had 3,000 camels, he was now blessed with 6,000. He now had a 1,000 mules and a 1,000 oxen, 
double the previous amount. In addition, you know, there was now born to him, there were now born to him 14 sons and three daughters. The number of children he had before, total was 10. Seven sons and three daughters. Torah says that now he had double of everything. Double the number of sons, seven before, and now 14. Three daughters before, and now three. Why was not that two doubled? He now had three daughters again, but these three were blessed with double the amount of beauty and wisdom that the first three had. The number remained the same, double the amount of quality. They were blessed with quality rather than quantity. While the sons, sons of course you have 14 sons, you have any kind of a team you want. You have a minion right there of your own. So this was a blessing to have that many more, and this was the extent of his reward. Now there are some who say, some of Foshim who state, that what really happened was his children were not killed. They actually remained alive in this storm that struck their home. It was unknown to him. It was now revealed that they were actually alive. So that all that happened to him now was that he retained his original ten children and seven more sons were born to him. One thing more remained to be doubled, and that was the years of his life. When all this occurred, he was exactly 70 years old. Now, after this happened, he was blessed with double of that amount of years. That means that he lived 140 years more, making his life span a total of 210 years. At this point, of course, we have a, an aura of mystery about the entire story. In fact, the entire story of Eov, despite all the details we have on it, as we've told, the story is completely shrouded in mystery. It's very difficult to fathom this story to the depth, to place it in its proper perspective, exactly when this story took place, exactly who the members of this story are. We do not find much reference made to the important characters of the story anywhere else. Though we find the Gemara says that Moshe Rabbeinu himself wrote the Sefer Eov. Others for him in the Torah were written by later prophets. Moshe himself wrote the Sefer Eov, so it must be that important than during the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, yet no mention of Eov is made in the Chumash itself. There are a lot of debates and discussions about the identity of Eov and the Gemara, many different opinions. Some say that he was not Jewish, or as one who says that he did not even exist the vast majority, of course, dispute the statement. They hold that he did exist. The Zorah Kodesh, of course, says that he did. The story is a true one. But as to who he was and when he lived, this remains a mystery because of the many conflicting statements. It seems that we will have to wait until Mashiach comes to really clear this up for us. Now, for example, this one item itself, the Farshim say, leaves us in the dark. Thus, we say that Eov lived 70 years plus 140 years. Gemara tells us that the king of Egypt, Haro, had three advisors. When it came to the question of how to deal with the Jews, they were multiplying so, Haro said, let's act wisely against them, lest they overtake us and overpower us and take the land from us. Three advisors were Bilam, Bilam the evil prophet of the Goyim, 
who advise that they should be enslaved, they should be destroyed. For this, Bilam himself was destroyed later. Second was Yisro, father Lama Shabena, he's one of the three advisors, and he fled. He refused to take part in this evil. He fled. For this, he was Zohar that what occurred later. He had sons that were very great, and of course, the son of Lama Shabena. Third one was Eov. Eov remained silent. He refused to contribute to any statement. Therefore, because of his silence, rather than try to help the Jews, he was punished. This was the reason for the Yisurim coming upon him. No sin involved, but this is what led to the suffering. This is a statement of the Gemara, and the Zerah Kodesh adds that it was also due to the fact that Eov did make a statement, saving the lives of the Jews, but he said rather than kill them, just enslave them. This is why we find a statement that Eov, Hashem ordered the Satan to harm Eov physically, his possessions, but to spare his life. This was Midah, connected Midah, for what Eov said about the Jews. These, of course, in itself are conflicting statements, conflicting opinions, and to add to the mystery, the date itself is very difficult to understand or to reconcile. Because this took place 210 years before the Jews left Egypt, which was the exact number of years Eov lived. Yet we find that at the time of crossing the Red Sea, Eov was the one who helped the Jews cross then. And the reason he helped them was because the Satan tried to stop the Jews. Hashem gave Eov over to the Satan as a victim to take his mind off the Jews.